Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we wrap up another busy week. Thanks for letting us be part of your day. Big debate last night. Went much better than the first one. Good discussion of issues. A lot of good points made. Questions still remain. Some questions still unanswered, but more information for voters to look at and choose from. Certainly presented in a better way than the first time around. It's going to be interesting as we head towards Election Day. So glad you've joined us here today. We have lots to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, COVID-19. Is it a threat to our drinking water? Is it a threat to our wells? We'll talk with the National Groundwater Association about that. Some senators calling again to do away with the Renewable Fuels Standard. We'll talk with Jessica Bennett with the Renewable Fuels Association about that. And we'll get a harvest update from snowy Minnesota. That's coming up later in the program. But first, happy to have back with us Todd Van Hoos, who is president and CEO of the Farm Credit Council. want to talk about the impact of COVID-19 on the ag economy. Todd, thank you for joining us. What is your assessment of how agriculture has weathered this pandemic so far? Well, well good morning, Mike. Uh, nice to be on again. Uh, you know, uh, the truth is that agriculture has done remarkably. Uh, if you think about everything that, that agriculture has faced as a result of this pandemic, it, it's sort of amazing how well it has done. Now, now, definitely stress is rising out there, right? And, and we're seeing a lot of that. But when, when you talk about uh, the big picture, uh, continuing to feed the country, continuing to successfully put food on shelves out there and on families' tables, you know, agriculture, as always, has really produced for, you, for the U.S. consumer. Let's... Uh talk about what you would call borrower stress as far as farm credits loan portfolio goes uh what's it show well you know i think it shows about what you might expect and that is across the last let's say since really since 2013 we've had a pretty tough ag economy uh we haven't seen a lot of operations tip over but we've seen a lot of, of producers out there their balance sheet has deteriorated a little bit. Maybe their debt leverage ratio is a little higher. Certainly their margin for error in working capital is decreasing. And so while you haven't hit the end of the road, a lot of folks have moved down that road quite a bit, and and that has us worried for the future. Well, obviously government payments have made a big difference this year, as has this recent market rally. You're exactly right. I mean, prices have have done a little bit of good here and that's a, that's been a great relief for people you know there's a there's a chance in the marketplace and and that's where we need to get back to where farmers are getting their price out of the marketplace because when you look at net farm uh, cash income for for 2020 almost 40 percent of that is projected to be government payments and that's just not sustainable long term so uh, shape so, of the u.s so todd as we look ahead and we're still dealing with the, the virus here in late October, and it's looking more and more like it's going to go at least to the end of the year, maybe into next year. How concerned are you, from an ag lender's uh, viewpoint, of this continuing on and what that 
would mean for the ag economy? Well, I think we're worried because, you know, right now uh, through basically heroic acts, right, we're keeping plants open, we're keeping shelves stocked on grocery stores, all um, but if you if you have a sense that this pandemic may be in a second wave and you're going to see those same supply interruptions that we saw in the spring hit again in the fall, then we're going to be right back where we were. And so uh, I'd say our primary concern right now is how bad is this second wave going to be and what kind of disruptions can we expect from it? As a lender, what do you say to farmers about how to prepare, how to how to manage through this? I, I tell you, it's really hard, Mike. I mean, uh, farmers are amazingly resilient, and, and already through the last five years, they've made enormous strides in getting much more efficient, right? Cutting costs wherever they can, taking advantage of opportunities when they exist in the marketplace. Uh, so I'm not sure there's a lot else farmers can do except hunker down and try to get through this. Now, fortunately, we've had some some uh, incredibly needed government support through this but you know when you start to look into 2021 it's hard to project that level of government support going forward so i i think farmers need to be hunkering down and and looking for those unique opportunities in the marketplace whenever they get a pricing opportunity to take advantage of it which we've been getting some here during this harvest season Uh, do you anticipate some very difficult conversations and discussions about going into next year as you sit down with farmers? What our local farm credit lenders are telling me is next year, probably not. I mean, there'll be some people, and, and if you're in, if you're having a really difficult time, it's, it's a terrible situation, and, and we're going to have individual situations like that, and we'll work through customers to do that. But overall, uh, we don't expect 2021 to be that tough. We're a little bit worried about 2022. Ah, already looking that far out then. So your bigger concern is 2022 rather than 2021. Things are going. If you look at how people's, especially that working capital level, has been has been eroding on the balance sheets across the last few years, there's still a lot of staying power out there for farmers. You know, uh, land prices are still pretty strong. People have equity. But over time, uh, you're seeing some erosion on that. And so, again, probably not a, a t- too terrible a renewal season in 2021, with some exceptions. But but 2022, unless we see a really strengthening of the market, you know, get back some trade markets, see some reason to strengthen these commodity prices even further, uh, it's, it's going to be a tough year. Interest rates are record low. Uh, as you said, land values have held pretty steady uh, through all of this. Um, that that's two big factors on a positive note moving forward. That's that's the great news, right? I mean, uh, money's really never been cheaper. Uh, you know, interest rates. Nobody could have predicted this level of interest rates held, held this low this long and and look like they may in the future. Uh, and at the same time, we're seeing real resilience in that. Uh, land market out there. It seems like every time a good piece of land comes on the market, boy, somebody snaps it up. And so uh, that's the good news for farmers. You know, conversely, Mike, as as I'm sure you know, and a lot of your listeners know, that land value is also a barrier to entry for the next generation, right? I mean, that that really has a double-sided of that sword because it's hard to get involved in agriculture given the land prices. On the other hand, you know, that's the real equity for people's operations. 
Well, we'll hope that this rally in the markets and the increase in trade we've seen uh, is a sign of things to come. That would really make a huge difference as we move forward. Todd, always good to talk with you. Thank you for being with us. Thanks, Mike. Todd Van Hoos, President and CEO of the Farm Credit Council. Well, we deal every day with the effects, the impact of COVID-19 on our lives. Is it a threat to our drinking water and especially to our wells? We're going to talk with the National Groundwater Association about that issue, how it could be impacted by COVID-19 or perhaps not. We'll get the latest. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Let's talk about the strong beef exports to Taiwan and South Korea. Demand continues to be pretty resilient in 2020, uh, despite all the disruptions of COVID-19. On the beef side, beef muscle cuts saw amazing growth in the month of August. It's our largest month in over a year at 89,000 metric tons, which is about 4% growth. And this was led by record monthly data out of Taiwan, Korea, and China. Taiwan and Korea were up a little over 20% each, and, and China was almost fourfold increase over a year ago. While the food service begins to come back, we still have extremely strong retail demand and extremely strong online presence for the U.S. beef products. So beef side, we're excited about a few of these things coming together. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you. Cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate. First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry, and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. 
For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Are private water wells at risk of COVID-19, the virus? Let's talk about it with Ben Freck with the National Groundwater Association. Ben, thank you for joining us. Uh, Tell us about a study on this particular topic. Uh, Is there any threat to drinking water from private wells from COVID-19? Hey, Mike, thanks a lot for having me this morning. I'm uh, very grateful to be on the show. So the good news is, is there is very low risk of this happening, but like anything else, there's always a risk, you know? I mean, we've known for a long time that viruses and pathogens can be transmitted through surface water and to a lesser extent groundwater. And the way that happens is essentially it gets infiltrated by human waste, um, animal waste, and the way, you know, through leaky sewer lines and a lot of times flooding will carry, you know, animal waste and its pathogens over water well heads. And if the water well head is uh, cracked or not installed properly, that can get into your water supply. Um, So when COVID-19 started, you know, coming up around the world and we started to see that COVID-19 is present in human waste, we started to get, get concerned. You know, maybe this virus can't be treated like other viruses. Maybe it can live longer in water supplies and maybe it can't, um, you know, be fought with traditional septic systems. So what we started looking into was, you know, is this virus much different than other viruses and how it's transmitted through water and how it could potentially impact humans through water? And the good answer is, and the lucky answer is, at this point, it looks like there's very low risk of that. So we're learning more, it seems, every day about about the virus. Um, What do we know now? What are we learning about how to, what is the most effective action to protect our private wells from the virus? Yeah, so, you know, that's the other, um, you know, big point of this is that, you know, while there is low risk, I mean, there's only, the, the risk gets lower the more action you put into protecting your water. And for people on private water wells, where there's anywhere between 40 to 50 million across the United States, uh, you know, it's very, very important to get your water well inspected annually. Um, because if your septic system is not operating like it should, if it doesn't have a correct setback distance, which is the distance between the septic tank and your water supply, then you can start seeing issues where pathogens don't have enough time and space and are not getting treated properly and can enter your water supply. And this could also include COVID-19. Um, so, you know, the best thing you can do is have, uh, have a certified water well contractor inspect your water well once a year, make sure that your treatment system is working, make sure your water system is working, because if you're on a pro- private water well, this is all up to you. No one's going to do this for you, so you really have to take action. And, you know, with the threat of emerging contaminants just always growing and growing, there's no better time to do this than right now, especially since the winter is coming and it's, you know, it can be harder to get a contractor out there when the winter gets, you know, in full force. We're talking with Ben Freck with the National Groundwater Association. Ben, give us those numbers again. How many are relying on a private well for their drinking water? Because we know more and more areas of rural America are going to a, a rural water system 
where basically yeah. they can hook up to, to city water. So I, I, I was really curious and interested to hear that number. Could you give us that again? Yeah, so, you know, it's, always, it's hard to um, quantify, um, you know, right down to the exact number, but usually what we see through census data um, and home building data and, you know, through state data is anywhere between 35 to 45 million um, people are uh, dependent on private water systems and domestic, wa- and domestic homes uh, for their water supply. So, you know, that's a pretty large swath of Americans who are not on these city systems, who are not connected to a town's a municipal system, and who really need to be educated and take action on, you know, how to best manage their water supply, how to keep it safe, how to keep it clean, because a lot of people will buy a home, not necessarily, you know, with the well, but not necessarily understanding what, you know, it takes to maintain that well and to keep your water clean of pathogens and viruses because, you know, that is your responsibility if you have your own water well. I had not even thought about potential of COVID getting into a well, into a drinking water supply. So uh, is there a test you can do just for COVID in a well or COVID in water? Yeah, so, you know, and again, and the way it gets into, would potentially get into your water is, you know, it's through the human waste. I mean, when they started seeing this, and, you know, I know this can sound a little bit gross, but when they started seeing COVID-19 in human stools, and, you know, that's your body shedding this virus, the unfortunate fact of the matter is those, you know, that stuff can potentially contaminate your water supply, and that just works like other viruses, and transmits through water, surface water, groundwater, so there is a potential if your septic system's not working correctly and if you're not using correct um, you know, distillation methods and kind of reverse osmosis. Um, so if you do contract, or sorry, if you do um, call a water contractor out, they can test for uh, various pathogens, including COVID-19, um, in your water. Um, and the best way to do that is we run a site called wellowner.org. We run with the um, Rural Community Assistance Partnership that has certified water well contractors in your area that you can call, you can get a quote, you can have them come out and inspect, do all kinds of water tests. Um, so, you know, we think whether it's COVID-19 you're worried about or just, you know, a dozen other pathogens or viruses, you know, it's, it's, it's always good to take action sooner because, you know, waiting until you get sick, it's going to cost a lot more and be a lot more dangerous. Well, we're all hearing and learning more and more about testing all the time. Uh, you mentioned an annual test. Do we need? Do people with wells need to test those wells at water more often than once a year? No, I mean usually once a year because if your if your well system is operating correctly and modern septic systems, modern water treatment systems are really incredible and they're really you know put together uh, and they operate very efficiently and very well as long as they're operating correctly. And you know we found that once a year is usually enough in most cases, unless, you know, if you've been hit by a really bad flood, if, you know, there's anything that, you know, you sparks your interest that maybe your well is not operating correctly, then you should go ahead and call in a water well contractor. But if, if as far as you know, your well is operating fine, then once a year is usually okay for an inspection. The only time, you know, we'd suggest other than that is, you know, if you're t- tasting, if your water's tasting funny, if you can actually physically see your water well may have been damaged by a flood, um, by, you know, a host of other things, then you'll want to get a certified water contractor out there. But and for most people, once a year is fine. Again, you, where can they get more information uh, on this? Because uh, it might be something people might just now be thinking more about. 
Yeah, and we hope people do think more about it, you know. Um, so wellowner.org, um, that's the public site we help operate, and it has a whole um, list of resources as far as how to maintain your well, how to best test your well, where to find water well contractors in your area with their contractor lookup tool. Um, and it's just, you know, we have a podcast on there about what water well maintenance. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you could ever want on maintaining your water well and keeping your family safe. And you have this uh, latest information, this latest study on uh, COVID and water wells? We certainly do. It is at wellowner.org and ngwa.org. Yeah, so I think something, uh, like I say, every day we think of something else where COVID could impact our lives or pose a risk or a threat. Uh, fortunately, the good news is the risk seems to be low at this point, but uh, you need to err on the side of caution, right? Yeah, you need to err on the side of caution. And if anything, you know, if this just served as a reminder to have people, you know, get their water tested, whether it was they haven't had a test in a while anyways, or get their water well um, uh, inspected um, if they haven't had that inspected in a while because besides COVID, I mean, there are, other, are a lot of other dangers out there when we're talking about PFAS, PFOA chemicals that could infiltrate your water supply, and 99% of them are all treatable, but you need to have an operating septic system, you need to have a good water treatment system, you need to have the tools in place to treat the water, um, but, you know, in general, and buried 99% of the time, your, water, your well water is going to be safe if treated properly. But you have to take actions to do that. That's a good point. Uh, we might be focused mostly on COVID right now, but there are a lot of other things, that, like you said, that they need to be checking for regardless. So uh, you can check for it all at one time then, right? Yeah, especially. And, you know, that's the other thing about this is, you know, when the flooding season, you know, it's been hit and, you know, we've seen pretty bad flooding season is um, floods can oftentimes bring these pathogens and these viruses into your water system because, you know, they will carry the, you know, whether it's, you know, animal waste or whatever from, from your field or from your barn over your wellhead. If your wellhead is cracked, that's all going to potentially seep into your water supply. And the more floods we have, the more opportunities basically these pathogens and viruses have to move around the water and potentially infiltrate your water. So, you know, I mean, with this flooding season we just had, it's probably good for everybody to, you know, make sure that their well is inspected at least once this year. Good information. Thanks, Ben. Good to talk with you. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Ben Freck with the National Groundwater Association. Up next, a group of senators calling basically for an end to the RFS, another attack. We'll talk about it with the Renewable Fuels Association next on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. You only get one chance to leave your mark on the land you love. So choose the soybeans with a legacy all their own. FS High Soy. The first proprietary soybean brand, High Soy has been a part of the land for 50 years. Offering the latest in trait technologies and elite genetics, High Soy varieties continue to provide industry charting yields. FS High Soy. See your local FS member company or visit fshighsoy.com. There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. 
It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Corn futures reaching for new highs on this Friday. The market continues to be led by higher strength in nearby contracts. Cash bids said to be strong in export markets. Russian wheat priced at $262.97 a metric ton, the cheapest offer at an Egyptian international tender on Friday. That according to a lineup of offers seen by private analysts. Today's hog slaughter estimated at 488,000 head. 1,000 head more than a week ago. Cattle slaughter, 116,000 head. 2,000 head less than a week ago. Stocks ticking on both sides of steady on this Friday. Investors putting the final debate of the 2020 election in the rearview mirror. In the grain and oil seed sector, an hour into the day, December corn up two and a half at 418 and three quarters. March up two and a quarter at 420 and a half. November soybeans down a penny and a quarter. 1072 and a half. January down three quarters of a cent, 1071 and a half. Chicago wheat, December up eight and three quarters, 631 and a half. Kansas City wheat, December up 10 and a quarter, 570 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat, December up three and three quarters, 578 and a quarter. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, October up 92 at 104.25. Feeder cattle, November contract, down 25, 130.17. Lean hogs, December contract, 82 cents higher, $67 even. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow down 31, NASDAQ down 47, S&P up 4, December crude down 13. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. So a group of oil state senators sent a letter to EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler asking him to waive the 2021 RFS standards to 
prevent increased use of renewable fuels and to, quote, account for the unprecedented collapse in demand for gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel, end quote. Let's talk about that with Jessica Bennett, Renewable Fuels Association Vice President for Government and External Affairs. Jessica, thank you for joining us. Um, First of all, so they're blaming the RFS and the use of ethanol, basically, for the... uh, for the collapse in demand for gasoline, uh, I thought that was COVID or other uh, other factors that caused the the collapse in the uh, in the uh, in the gasoline market. It's a ludicrous notion, isn't it, Mike? Uh, you know what? They any excuse they can find to to blame ethanol, I think they'll they'll find it, and that's clear from this letter. Um, I also think it's a little politically motivated, given that we're just 11 days today from the election. Uh, they had to find some kind of Hail Mary, I think, to send a signal to their oil buddies that they're, they're still on their side and not to worry that no matter the outcome of the election, they, they've got their back. So I think this was a last-minute attempt to do that as well. I think politics plays into everything, unfortunately. And they included jet fuel. Does the RFS have anything to do with jet fuel? It absolutely does not. That's, you know, that's what's even more laughable about it is that they don't seem to even understand the policy that they were writing a letter about, which, you know, most of these senators have been in Congress for multiple terms, so you'd think that they would be a little bit more well-versed on what they were asking. But jet fuel is not... Um, under the purview of the RFS, so I, I'm not sure why they chose to include that, other than, you know, it sounds good because we all know the airline industry is struggling right now as a result of the pandemic, so I think it was, you know, just another attempt to um, make consumers think that ethanol is bad for for all sectors of the economy. I mean, we could go back over the years uh, and create quite a long list of things that have been that uh, ethanol has been blamed for doing and a lot of them just laughable really i mean it'd be laugh it'd be funny if it wasn't so sad really and so serious but that's another one there so is this then i mean these kind of attacks or calls from oil state senators really not new but is this a shift in strategy you think i mean we've heard we've talked so much focus on these small refinery waivers so is this kind of now a different approach by the by the oil industry to go after all uh, refine for you know getting exemptions for all refineries, not just certain ones. You know, yes and no. I think unfortunately they have decided that they will use this pandemic to capitalize on the opportunity to undermine the RFS or to undo the RFS. As you well know, Mike, from doing this for all the years that you have, they are not going to rest until they have. Um, completely dismantled the RFS, and this is just yet another attempt to use the general waiver authority that they've tried to use time and again. You know, there were a group of governors back in May that tried to use the general waiver authority and used COVID-19 as an excuse to try to undermine the RFS, and, you know, it's just not possible. It's it's illegal. The general waiver authority does not apply in this situation, and they would be hard-pressed to find any industry that has not been severely economically harmed by this pandemic. So, I mean, it's just, I think our CEO said it best yesterday, it's laughable, and EPA should just throw this in the trash bin with all the other letters and and waiver requests that they have received. 
Well, we'll see what they do. We're talking with Jessica Bennett with the Renewable Fuels Association. Basically, Jessica, these senators are asking the EPA to ignore uh, court decisions upholding the RFS, right, and saying what EPA has already done with some some of these waivers was against the what the court has ruled. That's right. Absolutely. You know, in 2017, the U.S. Court of Appeals for D.C., the D.C. Circuit ruled the EPA had illegally abused its general waiver authority by attempting to lower the 2014 uh, through 2016 RFS volume requirements um, below the so-called blend wall, as they're referring to in this letter. So, yet again, they're asking Mr. Feeler to just flout the law, but we've seen that EPA doesn't have a problem doing that. Um, I, I think in this case, though, EPA would be, uh, you know, this would be a, a blatant, blatant uh, misuse of um, their authority, and I can't imagine that they can, will do anything but disregard this request and just move on to, to the business at hand. But. Again, you know, this is just another political attempt, a Hail Mary by the oil state senators to try to undermine and dismantle the RFS. And, you know, I think you can look at the names on the letter and understand this is a very finite group of uh, members of Congress. There was a letter back in May that was signed by over 20 senators, bipartisan group the, from across the nation that just demonstrates the support that our industry has. And, um, you know, I, I think that itself. I want to follow up on part something that came out of the debate last night that's getting a lot of attention, and that's Joe Biden's uh, uh, statement of wanting to transition away from uh, fossil fuels. And I guess some would think, well, if big oil's the enemy of uh, the ethanol industry, wouldn't that be good? I mean, uh, my first thought was, you know, the, the ethanol industry, renewable fuels industry, needs to needs a fossil fuel industry. The two need to work together. And I, I would be more concerned about these efforts uh, to, you know, to go completely away from, you know, gasoline engines. Now, there's a place certainly for the renewables in in the, this, tran in if it's a transition or a move uh, away, there's still a role to be played and certainly a case to be made for renewable fuels already cleaning up the environment. But uh, are you concerned about a move away from fossil fuels, and, and where would that leave the renewable fuels industry? You know, I, I'm not concerned about it because I think we've been trying for years to level the playing field, and I think when people talk about zero emissions vehicles and reducing greenhouse gases, you know, the renewable fuels industry has proven we have a role to play, and certainly California is the best example of that. They, they were aggressive in their use of um, a ZEV mandate, and they've had to come around over the years and learn that ethanol is just about the only way that they're going to meet their um, very aggressive goals. So, you know, I'm not sure that the internal combustion engine is ever going to go away. I know that it um, it's nice to talk about, but when you talk about, you know, heavy-duty pickup trucks in rural America like where I grew up, I, I just don't ever see those becoming electric vehicles. I think that's a very aggressive uh, mm -hmm. goal. But I, I don't think anyone would argue that, you know, there's a lot of talk about climate change and greenhouse gas reductions, and the renewable fuels industry absolutely has a role to play, and we are at the table. We're having those discussions, and I think that's the most important thing 
that we need to remember. And unfortunately, the oil industry has done nothing but try to undermine us over the years. They haven't tried to be our partner. They haven't tried to do anything to help further uh, promote our industry. And, you know, the time may have come that it's too late, and we may have to to part ways because, you know, all technology should be looked at when it comes to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And thankfully, we've been doing that over the years. So we're ready and we're prepared to do that. And I, I'm not sure where the fossil fuel industry has been, frankly, on that front. Yeah. I, I've i always thought, why have this ad- adversarial relationship if the oil industry would have embraced renewables and worked together? That way you protect your, your, your business if you're in the oil industry, because now there are attacks to move away from it, uh, you would protect your industry and be able to show you're helping to clean the, up the environment, clean the air at the same time. I mean, to me, it would have been a win-win. Instead of fighting uh, renewables, I always thought they should have embraced it. Yep. Well, one would think, but I think they've been too concerned about protecting their own market share over the years. And uh, hmm. to think about they they cut off their nose to spite their face, I think. And hmm. that's unfortunate. And I think they may be... Um, having a, a bit of a uh, revelation at this moment in time as we mm-hmm. look at this election in the, the coming days. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, what's the latest with the uh, dispute with Brazil, kind of on this holding period uh, on tariffs? Where are we? As, because Brazil, that's a big market for U.S. ethanol. It is a big market for U.S. ethanol, and... You know, I think we've been patient. Uh, we've we've waited as long as we can. We've asked and we've negotiated. Um, you know, we sent a letter today to President Trump uh, asking him to, um, you know, reevaluate the situation. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't appear that there has been any further progress made toward the elimination of Brazil's protectionist uh, posture in this situation. And... Um, there are more and more imports coming in for, from Brazil, and, you know, we've talked about it. We're, we're in a situation here domestically where the industry is in dire straits. So the impacts of an unlevel playing field for ethanol trade have become painfully apparent in the recent months. So, um, you know, something has got to be done, and the president had uh, mentioned uh, taking some action a, a month or so ago, and I think, you know, we're asking him now to – to maybe reevaluate that action uh, now that um, the reciprocal tariff may revert back here in December. All right, Jessica, thank you for the uh, for the update. A lot going on right now. Appreciate your thoughts. All right, thanks a lot. Good to be with you. Take care, Jessica Bennett, Renewable Fuels Association Vice President for Government and External Affairs. Yeah, I wonder if the oil industry has. People are talking about moving away from it altogether, whether that's realistic or not. I wonder if they're ever rethinking or second-guessing their position to fight renewables instead of embrace them all along the way, like ethanol and biodiesel. Hmm. Harvest update from Minnesota next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. 
Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so I accidentally avoided it. But no car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000-pound bus. It's our roads. It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
recently on Adams on Agriculture. Joining us now is the CEO of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, Dr. Barb Blinn. What are some of the priorities that you've laid out to whoever wins the election that need to be addressed in rural America? We start with expanding market access for food and agricultural products globally. And I think that's a top priority for NASA, but we also heard heard from both campaigns for them as well. As we know, um, with the current administration, there's there's a, a large a number of trade agreements being worked on at this time. Another issue was worker protection and increasing the availability of labor. We we need to prioritize keeping our food safe, particularly now in the wake of the COVID response and recovery. And then we support expanding rural broadband access, not only for rural businesses and communities, but the the, uh, health and education components of that are critical, as well as precision agriculture. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, for many farmers, Harvest 2020 has gone very smoothly in good weather. Uh, quite a stretch of weather allowing farmers to get started and just keep on going. If anything, too dry in a lot of places, but uh, still, uh, Harvest just rolled along at like a record clip for some. Uh, but if you're in some areas in the northern states, you're now dealing with snow. Let's talk about that with Angela Gensel, who's a Minnesota farmer and joins us now. Angela, thanks for being with us. What part of Minnesota are you in, and do you have snow? Good morning. Yes, we do have snow. I'm in south-central Minnesota. Uh, we got about five inches just earlier this week, and there's actually some coming down right now. Wow. So uh, where are you in harvest? How much do you have done? Uh, we have all of our beans done, luckily, and we're about forty per, or sixty percent done with corn. So we're <laughs> we're on the home stretch, and we're everything's closer to the farm now. So that's always a plus. But um, everything's parked right now, so it gives us a good opportunity right now, at least, to start uh, working on cleaning out some bins, making room for the so. Um. I know you're in Minnesota, but is this uh, is this early for a snow for you? Of uh, 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 that big of a snow, anyway. Yes, actually, this one was a record-sized snow for that early in the year. I think um, I think two inches because it's kind of the record before that. Um, kind of around here, we don't really expect a whole lot of snow. Just maybe the occasional freak snow in November, uh, early November. But uh, usually, it's mid-November that we're really getting snow. So <laughs> and it put us on hold a little bit. Yeah, and when you have multiple inches, then you start thinking about, okay, uh, how long is that going to stick around? Are we going to get, is it going to be gone so we can finish up harvest, or are we going to be harvesting in the snow? What's your forecast look like? Well, that's just it, too. Usually when we get an early snow like this, it usually takes a day or two and it's gone, but uh, the upcoming week looks like it's only going to be in the high 20s, low 30s, so it um, may not be going anywhere for a little bit here, so I guess it's time to catch up on office work and <laughs> Do laundry and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the harvest that you have already completed, as you mentioned, you're done with your beans. How how were your bean yields? You know, we did have a really great year, all being said. Um, this is actually 
as far as we are this year, this is very early for us. We started mid-October, and so we've already had a month of really good going. Um, we've had above-average crop yields, yields altogether. Um, you know, we had a really good start to the year. Everything went in early and dry, and um, then we had a little cold front kind of move in right after we planted, so that did affect the herd a little bit and count. But um, after that, we had very timely rains, nice uh, heat units, and, um, you know, for the guys who did uh, fungicide applications or extra uh, inputs into their plants, they really uh, noticed the difference, and uh, it really is paying off this year. So all in all, despite this <laughs> uh, little setback this week, it's been an um, above-average year. So the corn that you have harvested, how did it do? Mm -hmm. That same thing. Um, we've been uh, having a really good year so far. We, um, I think just a little bit of the south of us, they had um, a little bit of drought issues, so we were able to steer away from that and have very timely rains and um, very good heat units. Um, and we were very fortunate enough to be way north of Hendo's what, that mid-August derecho storm, um, so we weren't affected by that. We had um, minimal hail issues, um, a little bit of wind issues, but uh, all in all, again, above average. So now you just wait. Uh, how much snow can you uh, have out there and, and still go ahead and harvest, or um, or do you just, ha what, what's your determining factor of whether you go or just keep waiting? Uh, it's kind of two different things. One is, is the snow actually on the plant? Because if it's balled up on the plant and we take that in the combine, then that snow literally just falls up in the combine. And so that obviously creates an issue. So once it kind of falls off the plant, that's one thing. And then the other issue right now is that this is just a really wet snow. <laughs> Being in Minnesota or, and you're up north, you know all the different types of snow. And this is one of the wet ones that... Um, really um, affects how the equipment can get through the field and, um, you know, getting stuck, a little too greasy out, or even causing compaction. Yep. So we got to wait for that to be dry enough to go. In other years, when it's just kind of a light coating on top and it's not on the plants, we can still keep harvesting and it's not an issue. Yeah, big difference between a light, fluffy snow and a heavy, wet snow, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So as you said, you uh, the corn that's left, that's pretty much uh, close to home, right? So that that helps too. Absolutely, yeah. We um, yeah we farm a decent radius, and we got all the faraway stuff done. So it's a lot more beneficial now to be close to home and being able to um, turn around those loads a lot more quickly uh, should help for a, hopefully a quick end to harvest once we actually get to go going again. And then we can get in doing finishing up tillage as well. So just when things were just kind of going pretty smoothly with harvest, along comes a, a big snowstorm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know what? I, I really can't complain because we did get such an early start. I think last year we were only a week or two in at this point. So now we've been well over a month uh, going. And, you know, we've had really good weather up till now and um, just really good conditions. So it's almost... In a way, uh, personally, it's just nice to have a slight break to catch up on bills and paperwork and life. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good point. Um, if this had come when when you were just a week or so into it, it would have been a lot more discouraging. But as you said, with so much yeah. of it already done, that, that helps a lot. Angela, good yeah, to talk with you. Thank you for the update. Years. 
thank yeah. you so much. Appreciate the time. All right. Take care and have a good rest of the harvest. Hope you're able to get out and get it finished soon. Thanks a lot. That's Angela Gensel. She farms in south central Minnesota. Uh, harvest on hold there uh, because of a of a big wet heavy snow and uh, so they'll wait that out all right that wraps it up for today and for the weeks thanks so much for joining us hope you have a great weekend and please join us again on monday right here on aoa Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.